This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I am here with Mims. How are you? I'm doing well today. We had a whole technology mishap. Um, Mercury is retrograde. (laughs) (laughs) You're like the third person that's told me that like this week. And I'm just, I keep saying, what is that? I have no idea. It means it's it looks like it's going backwards but it's not really it's just going really slow okay so it looks like it's going backwards and mercury in retrograde is known to cause technological issues so you have to back up your things because things disappear from drives and clouds and stuff and technology malfunctions phones malfunction and it has the habit of bringing your exes back into your life no fucking thank so, you not today satan if you wake up and you're like hmm i should really text him don't just do it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we're like yin and yang you I- probably shouldn't but <laughs> go ahead. but we don't judge we we're don't here judge. for real and we're sometimes, here for it sometimes you gotta work through it I know I've had to work through it multiple times to actually get it. So if you if you gotta go through the motions, do you? Yeah. No I judgment. posted something the other day like I'm gonna give you toxic astrology advice. Just go see your ex and oh my, do whatever you want to do with them. And then this one person that's been like fighting the urge to go see their ex is like, yes, I needed this. <laughs> And they're gonna message me in a month like this. Yeah, yeah. I should not have seen my ex. Yep. Like, no, you yeah, probably probably should, should not. <laughs> no. But everybody has a relapse with an ex. Yeah. Uh, and um, we don't judge. I definitely don't. I talk to all my exes all day. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. I I would be. 5150 if I was talking to my exes. Besides one, one is an angel, so. I will talk to them as long as they tell me how great I am. <laughs> I fully support that. Like, well, I don't want a relationship, but you can hype me up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when it becomes toxic, then that's yeah. a no go. Oh, yeah. If you stress me out, I, my phone goes on do not disturb. There we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Boundaries. Yes. Tell me how great I am. Or, get, or leave. Get put on the blacklist. Yeah. Love that. Great advice I have today. Yeah. So we hope that you loved our last episode where we interviewed uh, Cassie and um, Tracy. Yeah. Tracy um, from Harbor House. They were amazing. 
full of knowledge. Yeah, it was a really good conversation. Mm-hmm. They're very caring, and they know so much stuff. Yes. Stuff that I hadn't necessarily thought about. Yeah, and we had a lot more to talk about, but um, it was already an hour and some. Yeah. We didn't have time for it all. Um, and their website has a lot more information. If you mm-hmm. want more information, you can reach out to them or anybody that is in that role directly. Yeah. Um, because there's so much more that we don't know and mm-hmm. that the general public doesn't know. Right. So it was a great time and we are so thankful for it. It is. And Domestic Violence Awareness Month is coming up in October. Yeah. So get your packages from Harbor House and get those purple lights on your porch going and Mm -hmm. those uh, signs on your lawn to show that you are an ally and a supporter and are there for anybody uh, in the neighborhood that could need some help. Yeah. I've been seeing um, one of my cousins was in a violent relationship and she's been posting all these great tiktoks too so if you're ready to tell your story you know share places so people don't feel alone Mm -hmm. yeah i fully support that too yeah when you're ready when you're ready Mm -hmm. yeah don't feel like you have to but if you feel like you're at a place that you can start to share it doesn't even have to be publicly you could just share with smaller groups of people Mm -hmm. but if you're brave enough to share publicly, you could help some women that think they can't make it out. Mm-hmm. Or men. Or men. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, I don't think I have any other upcoming news for us. I don't have any true crime news. I'm still avoiding the world. Yeah. So we're just going to dive right in. Yeah. Sounds okay. good. You go first. So, as you said, last week we discussed the issue of domestic violence, so we're going to go with that theme this week, Mm -hmm. and I'm covering the murder of Michael Telusti, and my sources this week are wisconsincourts.gov and unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com and newspaperarchive.com. So, like you just said, I think it's important to remember that domestic violence and domestic violence homicides do not only affect women. Mm-hmm. Any gender can be affected. So, Michael Telusti was in an 11-year relationship with Laura Law. And these two appeared to outsiders to have a great, happy union. Mm-hmm. They lived together... Um, in Arkdale, Wisconsin. And they regularly socialized with some of Mike's family members, specifically his cousin Denise and her husband. So the four of them would hang out, and then Laura and Denise would hang out on their own as well. On the evening of March 26, 2001, Laura and Denise had gone to the casino together. And apparently Mike was really upset about this. Okay. It's been speculated that Laura had some gambling problems, Mm. which would be why he was upset about it. That makes sense. And so Laura said when she arrived home that evening that her and Mike had a huge argument. And Mike decided it was an appropriate time to leave. And that he was going to leave on foot. So he packed up a bag of clothes and... And $73,000 in cash. 
wow. So you just have $73,000 in cash just laying around? Apparently. Wow. I feel like that's heavy. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole backpack. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how would... Yeah. It had to have been hundreds. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he just took off on foot, like... If you have $73,000 in cash, you should have a car. Yeah, I would think so. That's like really strange. A yeah. horse? <laughs> yeah, some sort of transportation. Some sort of transportation. Yeah. But her story is he just wanted to walk off on foot in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a couple of weeks later, Laura told some of Mike's family members that he had contacted her and told her that he had made it out west and that he had decided to relocate there. So, I don't know. He walked out west. He walked to out west. He what? walked to out west. <laughs> yeah, okay. All like, right. Where is out west exactly? I always imagine like Montana when people it, say that. It, that's exactly what I, I envision to or Utah. Yeah. yeah. Utah's pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a so, big fan of out west. <laughs> I like how it was. Maybe we should walk there. Yeah. <laughs> but his family was becoming really suspicious of this situation. Yeah. As I would be. Yeah. And Laura and Mike ran their own business, so people were accustomed to not regularly seeing him. It's not like he had a job to clock into or anything like that. It was often in just those two on their own running their business or at home by themselves the family didn't all live right around them so it was pretty typical for people not to see them for months right so nobody was really thinking anything of it except after some months have passed and they didn't get any contact from mike at all they started asking questions and laura had told denise the whole mike walked out west story Mm mm-hmm And Denise eventually convinced Laura, like, you need to speak to Mike's parents. Right. Because they're getting concerned, and if he's out west, he should be able to call. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Right. I would hope so. Something. Out west still has phones. I would hope so, yeah. That means 2001. Somebody Mm. has a phone somewhere. Right. Pay phones are still a thing. Right. So, Denise did eventually convince Laura to speak to Mike's parents, However, Laura wanted to lie and say that Mike told her that he went to Canada. That's a huge jump from out west to Canada. Yeah, and Denise was like, why would you want to lie? Yeah. Why don't you just tell them the truth that he, you guys got in a fight and he walked off and now he's out west. Right. Like, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. And Laura's like, no. And she still told them that he was in Canada. So now at this point, Denise is like, hmm, this is really suspicious. Yeah, do people not think that that doesn't raise some flags and ring some bells and do all of the things that alert people? You would think. Like changing your story and it kind of just not making sense from the, the get. That's what I'm saying. Like, why wouldn't you have just one lie? Yeah, you already stick made, with the you lie. You made up the lie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then why do we need another lie? Right. What's wrong with the first lie? My thinking whenever somebody's doing this, and I don't know how accurate it it is, but what I think is maybe they're trying to get people off of one 
I don't know, one theory onto another theory so that there's more time. Maybe. But it just... Out West is just so vague. Yeah. I would have <laughs> stuck with Out West. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, you don't know where Out West and it could be yeah. anywhere and... But then you switch it all up and... Then you switch it to Canada. Yeah. Nobody just goes to Canada. No, you... Like, did you need a passport in 2001 to go to Canada or no? I have no idea. Do you idea. need a passport to go to Canada? I, yeah. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in 2001. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Don't know. No clue. Somebody <laughs> will tell us and tell us how dumb we are. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh. <sighs> we try our best. <laughs> yeah, I don't know everything. I try. Yeah. <laughs> but at this point, Denise is like, yeah, you were my friend, and I kind of sort of a little bit believe the Out West theory. And I think Denise... This is just my theory. I think Denise probably didn't believe the Out West theory, but thought that Mike just had it with Laura's shit and just left her, and mm-hmm. Laura didn't want to explain that to people. That would make sense. Uh, that's what I think Denise thought at first, mm-hmm. until this whole parent Canada situation happened. Right. Then she was looking like, bitch, Yeah. what is going on here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, then things get worse because Denise and her husband were storing their snowmobiles in Laura and Mike's shed. Okay. It's getting closer to snowmobile season. Denise is like, hey, we need to come over and get our snowmobiles. And Laura's like, no, you don't. You're not coming over here. You're not allowed to go in the shed. Oh, no. And then Denise was like, no. I, I'm i coming to get my snowmobile. Yeah. And Laura's like, no, you're not. And Denise said, yes, I am. I will come over there and cut the lock off the shed and get my snowmobiles. What is your deal, yeah, lady? Yeah, yeah. First the Canada story, now I can't get my snowmobiles? Yeah. So Laura was like, okay, we can compromise. I'll get the snowmobiles out of the shed for you, and then you can come pick them up. Not suspicious at all. Yeah, not what? At all. Yeah. So at this point, it's been about four months since Mike disappeared. And his brother, Mark, is also like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to file a missing persons report because things are not adding up. Right. It's been four months since anybody's laid eyes on Mike. Right. So he files the missing persons report and he tells them about this whole shed situation. Good. And the case is then assigned to Gary Silka. Gary goes to speak to Laura. And Laura said, well, I had rented out the shed to someone else to use for storage, which is why I wasn't permitting anybody to go into the storage because it's not my place to do so since they are paying me to use the shed for storage. Okay, but they, these other people were also paying or. They were paying? I don't think they were paying. Okay, but they also had their personal property in your yeah in your area, so they have a right to get that. You would think so, yes. So, everyone was like, this is really fishy, mm-hmm. and people are contacting the police, like, it's all shed situation. And they're like, yeah, we don't trust this shed situation either. No. So, we're going to get a warrant. So they did get a warrant. However, they were not able to get the warrant and execute the search until January 22nd of 2002. And 
our friend Laura here, had left town the day that Gary came to speak to her about the shed situation. Mm. She's like, yeah, no, somebody's renting it out. And then he left and she's like, and I'm gone. Yeah. She just disappeared. Yeah. yeah, she dipped. She's like, nope, not dealing with whatever is going on around here. Yeah, not looking good for you. No. So then the police came to search the property with the warrants. Laura was, of course, gone because she dipped like two months ago. Mm-hmm. And they entered the shed and they were immediately hit with a foul odor. Oh, God. They found a body wrapped in blankets and plastic. And inside of the blankets was the body of Michael Telesti. Upon examination, it showed that he had been in the shed decomposing for nine to ten months. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. wow. He was there the whole entire time. Yeah. He had a nine millimeter gunshot to the back of his head. And police say several years prior to his murder, Laura had purchased a nine millimeter handgun that would have been consistent with the wound. And they believed that that was used to kill him. Police believed that Laura had a gambling problem and that Mike had had enough of it. Mm -hmm. So that was like his final straw that night when she left and went to the casino. He's like, yeah, I'm done dealing with this. And then she killed him. Wow. What a... (sighs) And she probably gambled away the $73,000. What a trivial thing for somebody to lose their fucking life. Like... That is just so shameful. It is. Like, how do you just do this to people? So, while this is going on, Laura's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Laura ran away. However, this aired on Unsolved Mysteries. And from there, Laura was quickly captured. Hmm, Because people like to tell when they watch Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, absolutely. I used to love watching Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, I started watching it, and it w- it's pretty old. Yeah, and especially so if you start <laughs> <laughs> if you start at the the uh, older ones. Yeah, um, it's very old, and the reenactments sometimes get to me. <laughs> <laughs> they were great. Yeah, no, they're great. I I thoroughly enjoy them. But Jake would walk in, and he would walk right out. He's like, "No, <laughs> this is too much." Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. But I was there for it. But I was like a five-year-old watching this on TV. <laughs> this yeah, so then it's like lot. crazy, you know? It's like, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like all engrossed. Like, yes. this crazy lady killed her husband yeah. and she ran away and I wonder where she is. And then I think the people at the gas station are oh the people on the show. God. And I'm telling my mom, like, I saw that lady. She's like, no, you didn't. You gotta stop watching that. <laughs> Why was she letting me watch it? Yeah. <laughs> Just sitting there watching murder with me. There we go. And now I do this. <laughs> yeah. So, Laura was... Okay, let's see. Where am I? So, they received information from a tip, and then the FBI went to investigate, and they began questioning motel employees in the downtown area of Nashville. And she was identified by an employee of a motel as their late shift desk clerk. So then they waited for her to arrive at work. When she arrived at work on July 16th, 2002, she was arrested. 
Laura, however, maintained her innocence. Of course, she didn't have anything to do with this. Right. Never. Mm-hmm. So she wanted her attorney, Sheila Kessler, to change the venue because of the pretrial publicity. Like, everybody needs heard everything about the case. Guys, that never works. Right. Judges don't care. If they have a high publicity case, they're keeping it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you can really show somehow. But especially this day and age when everything's online, you're right. not getting your venue changed. Right. So the judge is like, nope, you're staying here. And then her attorney, Kessler, changed to Laura's plea on the charge of hiding a corpse to innocent by reason of mental defect. Yeah, that's always these people's play. Mm-hmm. And then she still maintained her innocence to the charge of first degree intentional homicide. So she hid his body because she was mentally incompetent, but she never killed him. I don't know how that makes any sense. I was going to say, how, does, how do you say I'm insane, but I also didn't do it? I, what the fuck? I don't know. Somebody else killed him and she hit him? It, I, yeah, then you wouldn't go around telling people he moved to fucking Canada. Yeah. She told her friends that Mike had attempted to commit suicide. And she had tried to stop him. Mm-hmm. And there was a struggle over the gun. And he was accidentally shot. You do not accidentally get shot in the back of the head while struggling over a gun. No. Because there's no way that you're struggling behind your back over a gun. No. What is this lady's some logic? Kind of weird contortionist. Maybe she is insane because her logic is just so flawed. I think she's just dumb. <laughs> she's going to get straight out in a couple up, years. Up stupid. She's going to be like... <laughs> These podcast bitches. Yeah, well, dumb. you know what? This is all on you, so I don't, yeah, I don't give like, a... Yeah, why? Why? So, in April of 2003, she eventually did plead guilty to first-degree reckless homicide in his murder. And she was sentenced to 24 years in prison. And she is eligible for parole in 2026. Ugh. Disgusting. Oh. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. And love them. Mm-hmm. And then they'd be like, honey, you're spending all of our money. Please stop. Instead. How? I want to say addiction. I feel like a lot of people with addiction don't deserve that. Right. So none these a lot of people that struggle with gambling addictions, drug addictions, whatever, don't just say I'm going to kill you cuz you're in my way. Right. And she could have kept stealing the money. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Without killing him. Yeah. Yeah. She could have taken the $73,000 and walked out west. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that would have been a lot easier just to steal the money and then just dip. Yeah, that would have been a better better way to go. But yeah. some people are stupid. Definitely. Well, that was an interesting case. Thank you I for that. I solved one for once. I just like to point Yay. that out. <laughs> <laughs> that is unlike you, and I was here for it. <laughs> okay. I am doing the story of Aaron Lind, and my sources are Murderpedia, AP News, 
bluelady.com, caselaw, and upi.com. Okay. So Erin Lind is an African-American who was adopted by a white family by the name of Mary Ann and John Lind. Um, They were from Madison, and he was a young boy when they adopted him. So Aaron was taken from his mother when he was only 11 days old by Milwaukee CPS. Um, Not much was said about why he was taken, but just know that he was only 11 days old. So it was pretty bad. crazy. The Lind family adopted him when he was just four months old. So that's all he knew. And Aaron's life wasn't exactly a normal childhood, so to speak. He immersed himself with a life of crime at the age of four. Four? Four. This this is when it all started. So, he was shoplifting, setting fires, stealing, fighting, fantasizing about murder, and trying to kill himself, and... Um, this was all according to his adoptive mother who witnessed it all. Okay. So just a lot of struggle with day to day and doing bad things. That's a lot. Yeah. That's for a, a lot. child. Mm-hmm. Well, for anyone. Yep. But definitely for a child. So she at one point stated that Aaron tried to hang himself with a belt in his closet. Like that's how bad it was. And it just seems to me that it, it says more about how he feels about himself yeah. And it really made me sad. That is horrible. So, Marianne said, despite the family's attempts of love and inclusion towards Aaron, he would tell them that he would rob them, burn down their house, and kill them. So, just a lot of mixed emotions. Yeah. Several therapists, doctors, and others treated or analyzed Aaron during his troubled childhood, and he told doctors that his reasoning behind his bad behavior was due to him wanting to be recognized and just wanting attention. So, I have a lot of mixed emotions about this case when we get really into it. So, at the age of 19, on January 15th, 1988, Aaron went to the Madison Police Department Detective Bureau. So while at the city county building complaining about the second burglary, he was told. So this happened at his house, the second burglary. He wasn't part of it. Okay. Um, He was told that a new detective assigned to his case was unavailable to speak to him. And he took that very personally, emotionally, Mm -hmm. and he snapped. So he left the building and went out to his car and got his 22 caliber rifle, came back and began shooting, which ended when he was shot and wounded. The retired sheriff's deputy who shot Aaron said he kept repeating, shoot me, kill me, I'm going to shoot you. So he just, it seemed like he wanted it to end for himself. Right. Uh, nobody could understand why such a heinous crime could be committed against unsuspecting people. Later on during the trial, uh, prosecutor John Burr told jurors that Aaron was angry and vengeful. But as everything in life, it isn't always so black and white. Right. So immediately a trial was scheduled on February 1st, 1988. And that took place at the heart. So, this all was happening at the heart of Madison. 
Uh, Dane County Court Commissioner Todd Muir accepted the bail recommendation of Assistant District Attorney Jack Heights and ordered Aaron to be held in lieu of 251000 cash bail. I thought that was a weird... That's what I was going to say, 251. 51. <laughs> you got to have like, that extra one. Why? I don't know. That was weird. During the trial, he was brought in shackled and was guarded by at least eight sheriffs. Wow. Deputies. That's <laughs> a lot. But, like, it just kind of made him seem more criminal, I feel like. It, yeah. It, it created that image of, oh, this person needs to be, like, fully detained. Did they think he was going to escape, or? I don't think so. They were just mags he shot at police. Maybe. Maybe. And they were treating him that way. Yeah. Some believe that his adoption did play a role in his defense. His defense attorney, Robert Burke, stated, To understand what happened on January 15, 1988, you have to understand Aaron's whole life, end quote. So defense attorney Burke argued that he was a tragic loner, depressed, unable to bond with anyone, unable to grasp the importance of meaning of truth, a thief from age of four who also later set fires, confused about his identity as an interracial child adopted by a white family. End quote. Prosecutor John Burr agreed with the description that his defense attorneys painted of the, their client, but the prosecutors also repeatedly countered that Aaron was an angry young man whose sole way of dealing with rage was to lash out. Mm-hmm. Defense attorney Burke also argued that Aaron's rights were violated when he was questioned twice in the hospital room hours after the shooting. However, the statements made were later ruled to be admissible. Uh, additional arguments made on behalf of Aaron were that he should have been allowed to cross-examine a key prosecution witness who said Aaron was not mentally ill, which was the whole defense for his trial. Okay. Who said Aaron was not mentally ill about an, about a separate case in which the witness may face charges before the state medical examining board. So it was basically questioning his um, valid- validity and his character. Like mm-hmm. if you could go and be charged with other things and now you're facing review with the medical board like why are you credible now right so during the trial aaron's adoptive parents mary ann and john were among the first to testify later on aaron was denied relief on his direct appeal in which he claimed a violation of the confrontation clause he raised that claim again in a federal uh, corpus application, which was denied, so that was just thrown out. They stated in court that years of private counseling and treatment programs and punishment through uh, the juvenile courts did not do him any good. Child psychiatrist Martin Flegel, who treated Aaron for three years, said that he seemed incapable of intimacy. Another psychologist from Madison indicated that Aaron's lack of opportunity to truly create a bond with his adoptive parents marked him for life, and that he suffers from reactive attachment disorder stemming from family disruptions during infancy that made it difficult for children to ever connect with people. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, 
Okay, so he was adopted at four months. Where was he from 11 days to four months? Mm-hmm. Probably bouncing. Uh, Yale psychiatrist Dr. Ezra Griffith stated that Aaron had a lifetime of mental problems suffering from antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. An additional 15 witnesses described Aaron as having a lifelong battle with mental problems. He continued to show signs of mental illness through his childhood and was treated by various counselors and doctors and spent most of his teenage years in juvenile court ordered treatment centers, foster homes, or group homes. So his life was a revolving door of treatment, intervention with the law, and behavior that embodied a cry for help. Dr. Griffith stated that Aaron's impaired logic perceives problems as rejections and that events before the shootings were seen as a series of abandonments. And those specific events include his credit union's refusal to grant him a loan unless he had a co-signer, his adopter's refusal to co-sign, a second burglary, burglary of his home, his view that police didn't care that he was burglarized, his belief that a former roommate stole his belonging, and a dispute that happened with his landlord. All of this rejection, abandonment, and back-to-back grievances only solidified his thinking that nobody was in his corner and that his anger and resentment was justified. Mm-hmm. A Wisconsin jury convicted Aaron of fatally shooting coroner Clyde Chamberlain at the age of 63 and Secretary Eleanor Townsend at the age of 40 and was sentenced by Dane County Circuit Court Judge Robert Powski Bukowski to so two consecutive life terms in prison and an additional 35 years for the shooting deaths and wounding of Eric Erickson, who was paying a parking ticket when Aaron went on a shooting spree. So oh, that, wow. that sucked. Yeah. The sentences were ordered to be served consecutively. Aaron was silent as he was resentenced. I'm sorry, as he was sentenced. And Mary Ann and John and an unidentified young woman sat in front, in the front row, hugging and crying. But the courtroom was also filled with relatives and friends of the victims, many in tears. Aaron ultimately stated he did not want to be released. And his parents, although upset, did not want him to leave jail. Yeah. However, on Monday, August 17th, 1998, trial proceedings began in the retrial of Aaron Lind in an attempt to prove mental illness at the age of 29. He was already serving his sentence at Columbia Correctional Institute when he got a new sanity hearing. So prospective jurors were questioned about their beliefs concerning mental illness and interracial adoption. But the new trial did not change anything as a jury made up of nine women and three men took two and a half hours to reject the claim of insanity and again found him responsible for the 1988 killings in Madison. Two floors up from where he took two lives, um, that of coroner Clyde Chamberlain, who was known as Bud, and county secretary Eleanor Townsend and while wounding a person just paying his parking ticket, Eric yeah. Erickson, which meant that he went to prison rather than th- rather than a mental institution. So there is no justification for going on a killing spree. 
Right. Um, no one should take the life of a fully formed, uh, out in the world human being. Um, I like how you said that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say that right. Um, but I did want to do this case for the bra- the background story behind the crimes, as I believe they are important in order to learn and grow from them. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like I said before, all black and white. It's all situational. And clearly, he was mentally disturbed because of right. whatever he had gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and end this even though i am not religious with a prayer by karen aka blue lady the creator of the website memorial and bud's memory quote may god be with each and every one of them and all of the innocent people who live whose lives were changed that day 10 years ago give them peace and the comfort of knowing that in this case justice was served end quote and that was the story of aaron lind it's very interesting. Yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that people should, uh, shouldn't should adopt outside of their race because people do need parents. Yes. However, I do think it's very important that if you are white and you're adopting children of another race, that you expose them to other people of their race, expose them to their culture, make sure they know what their identity is and that they have places that they can go and be Mm -hmm. what they are and not just be like white assimilated just because you're white right like i have biracial children they Mm -hmm. don't relate to me most of the time (laughs) i hear a lot of white lady things (laughs) from my kids all the time i hear it too right like you don't understand you're white yeah that's probably true yeah right right and you are completely understanding of that and you're their biological mother yes so i could just imagine if i was a random white lady that was like you're coming home with me right i'm gonna take care of they my kids wouldn't have it no i don't like random white people right (laughs) and i think it's really important to if you're going to make that that life-changing decision Mm -hmm. to adopt somebody that is not of your race fully know what it takes to take care of that person all all the way around so you know how people have specific hair you have to know how to take care of that specific hair that problem just with other white moms that have never taken the time to learn to Mm -hmm. take care of their baby's hair yeah and it's a mess. Same with skin. Like, and they look crazy at school. <laughs> yes. And then I want to take them home. Yeah. So I can do their hair. Not to judge them specifically. No, just But to- just take the time. Like, you made this decision. Yes. To have a child that is different from you. Yes. Educate yourself. Edu- because yeah, exactly. Educate yourself. Because it will, A, make them feel better. Mm-hmm. And it's just better grooming. Right. And... It just shows that you care. Yes. And it's not about you. And the right. decision isn't about you. It's about them. Right. And if you live in Appleton mm-hmm. and you have a black child and yeah. you don't know how to do their hair, yeah. you can take them to Takeda at City Best Braids because yeah. she has Plug a that. whole program for that. Plug that. <laughs> she helps Caucasian moms yeah. that have biracial children because 
this is a thing. It's a real thing. It's a it's real, a real problem. And there's no shame in being like, hey, I don't know what to do. Yeah, this is not. All. This is not something that I ever learned. Um, please help me. Please yeah. teach me. That, if anything, that's more admirable than just being like, uh, I'm just going to do but whatever. Let's just I'm pretend do. you're white, even though you're clearly not. Yeah, and that goes for any race that is adopted. Yeah. It's yeah, not definitely. just. This, I'm just speaking my own personal experience, right. but definitely it goes for right any culture because I know I know people are trying to do the right thing by yeah, adopting absolutely. children, and it comes from a great place. Yes, you and just, we need more people that way. Yes, but just know that there's a, another layer mm-hmm. that needs to happen as when you don't when you adopt somebody of a different culture and race and you know different structure of being yeah and that's just and if you only have them around all white people all the time they're gonna feel bad about themselves yes yeah i totally agree i totally agree it's like the whole little mermaid controversy oh i don't know people are being upset about the little mermaid being black oh really i mean i'm really excited about it yeah there's lots of people really excited about it but there's some white christian groups that are upset what is that? So the entire world is just white? Like, is that what what is happening? I don't know what is happening. <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> That's a whole other... I totally agree <laughs> with... Yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> but I totally agree that with what you were thinking. Because that's what I was thinking when I was reading this whole story. I was like, ah. Because can you imagine just feeling out of place your entire life? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I don't look like mm-hmm. you. You know, mm-hmm. it's got to be a traumatic. Yeah. Traumatic. Very and traumatic. And whatever the background is that got him taken away at 11 days old was yeah. probably traumatic as well. Yeah. And people will say, well, you don't remember what happens when you're a baby, but your brain does and your body does. Mm-hmm. That's regardless so true. if you don't have like the memories that you can form, it changes. Trauma changes the wiring in your brain. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of what age you are. And if he was just bounced around from place to place for four months yeah, during the time when you're supposed to be building that ability to connect with people, yes, then it makes total sense to me that he was never able to connect with anyone mm-hmm. and had those emotional issues. Mm-hmm. Cause that's when you need it. That's it's why tragic. you just hold your baby all day long. Mm-hmm. My sister has a baby and I just hold her and hold her and love her. Yeah. You just got to. It's, pivotal at this yeah. at that time yeah like if you have a preemie they'll tell you you need to as soon as you can you take the baby out and put it against your skin mm-hmm. because that helps you grow and thrive mm-hmm. and if a baby doesn't have that yeah then it really messes you up mm-hmm. it's gonna have later on consequences yeah so yes yeah, so that's why i thought it was really important to yes the the killings of these two people and the person that was wounded is very important right, because definitely. that shouldn't have happened to them. But no. also the background to the entire plot of this story yeah. is also very important right. as an educational tool. Right. I do not think that the majority of people that are murderers wake up and say, I just want to be a killer. Like, there's mm. so much that goes. Some people are just messed up. Yeah. But in the majority of cases, it's been a whole lot of circumstances that have led up to this point. Molding and shaping and just life experiences that keep um, people in their in their way of thinking is 
the the things that we want to cover. Yes, definitely. Okay. That's a great place to leave it. Yes. We love you guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love love you. you.